Our sermon text today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Let's uh, prefix that, however, with a reading from the minor prophet Micah. Minor not in terms of his importance, but only in terms of the length of his written prophecy. Micah chapter 6. I'd like to read only three verses from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, before we turn to Luke 18, 9 to 14. The Holy Spirit, speaking to God's people through the prophet Micah, asks this question. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And now to the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading and our understanding of his holy word. Whenever you hear the gospel and you resolve by grace to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with him. 
Learn early on in your Christian life the discipline of perseverance, of persistence, of tenacity. Holding on to the living God as Jacob, you remember, did at the river Jabbok. He held on and would not let go. Now Jesus has just taught in the earlier passage uh, from last week, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. By grace, let us never give up this duty. Let us never slacken. Let us never surrender our post when it comes to prayer. Whatever God's answer to your prayers may be, and whenever that answer comes, by grace, through faith, let's keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking at His door. Because the living and true God that we've actually come to know in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the living and true God is neither unjust nor unfeeling. The truth is, the truth about God is, He loves the brokenhearted. He welcomes helpless sinners. He binds up our wounds. But sometimes, unfortunately, that isn't the way. Petitioners, helpless petitioners, come to Him in prayer, brokenhearted for our sins, and confessing them, and pleading for mercy. No, by birth and generally by social indoctrination as well, by training from earliest age in this this culture, generally lost sinners deceive themselves. Even when we pray, we are deceiving ourselves. Not only are we too ignorant of God's character, we don't even know ourselves as we should. Careless sinners tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Being blind to our own true spiritual condition, blind to the extremity of our danger, as sinners in the hands of a holy God, an offended God who's angry at sin. Lost sinners don't see that. Beloved, let's be absolutely clear about this. The plain truth is that each one of us, each one of us here, is one missed heartbeat away from eternity. A heartbeat away from standing in the presence of Almighty God, the Holy One, the Judge. Far too many who are blind to this sober reality simply adapt to their lost situation in life, maybe lining up their very best excuses, maybe lining up their very best workarounds for their sin, and on the strength of their own plans, they imagine when they give the thought of death 
any thought at all. On the strength of their own plans, they imagine that things are going to turn out just fine for them when they finally meet God. But it won't. It will not. Not on the strength of our own plans. Not without the key element of a broken heart. A heart that's broken for our sins. Pleading only the mercy mercy of Jesus Christ. I myself was blind once, 11 years ago, after suffering a brain aneurysm. I mean, I was physically blind. Both eyes for several months, until very gradually, through the fervent prayers of many people on my behalf, the Lord graciously restored my sight to me. But I can recall the sympathy that so many friends expressed at the time when they would come to visit me or gather around me in church. How terrible it must be to be blind, they said. And I suppose that if I hadn't long before then come to taste the kindness of the Lord in the Gospel, if I hadn't trusted His fatherly care and providence in the matter, if I hadn't been provided, for instance, with such an excellent wife who daily nursed me back to health, it truly would have been an absolute nightmare to have seen once and then no longer to be able to see. But it wasn't a nightmare. Being blind, I adapted. Even knowing from personal experience what it was once to see, when that ability was taken away from me, I adapted. And really, what other choice did I have until God in His mercy restored me? I had been sighted once and then lost my sight. But there are those people who are blind from birth. People who don't understand what it is they're missing. Do people blind from birth miss the gift of eyesight? Well, think about it. Do you miss having gifts and abilities that you never had? No, we simply get along without them. We play the hand we're dealt. Those blind from birth are just living life as it comes to them, as we all must do. Jesus here is telling the story of two men he describes as a Pharisee and a publican or a tax gatherer. Both these men one day went up to the temple to pray. One of them knew his own spiritual condition before God. He knew it. He felt it. He saw it with stark, painful clarity. He saw his sin. He saw his need. He saw his absolute helplessness to do anything about it but beg God for mercy. 
Nothing wrong with his eyesight. Or what it showed him about himself. The other man was perfectly blind to his own spiritual condition. And to the general, the gen, genuine peril in which it placed him. So we have two different men going up to the temple, offering two very different prayers, resulting in two very different outcomes. Let's look at the first of these two men as Jesus presents them to us. The Pharisee belonged to a sect of Judaism that stood apart from the common, run-of-the-mill, uneducated Jew. I mean, very literally, the Pharisee stood apart from them. You knew when you were in the presence of a Pharisee. Because the Pharisee was the original practitioner of social distancing. Don't try to get anywhere near this man. Don't, try, don't you dare brush up against him. In a marketplace, keep your distance. The robes that a Pharisee wore tended to be a little longer and more luxuriant, a little more gorgeous than others. The tassels on his prayer shawl like the prayers themselves, tended to be a little longer than other men's. His phylacteries, those little boxes of Bible verses that they would wear on their foreheads and on their hands, they were a little larger, more noticeable. So you really couldn't miss a Pharisee when you saw one. He literally wore his religion on his sleeve. The other man standing there in the temple was a professional thief and swindler. And don't be mistaken, you will find people like this in churches and temples today. You will. But it's clear from the picture that Jesus draws that this particular man had reached the point of hating his own profession. Hating his own work. Hating himself for doing it. We don't know anything else about this man, but it seems likely there were other things in his life besides his occupation worthy of a thoroughgoing hatred. Those were the two men. And they'd gone up to the temple to pray. Because at that time, under the Old Covenant, that's where men go to meet with God. And each of these two men offers a prayer. The Pharisee, says Jesus, was praying to himself. Imagine that. Praying to himself. His prayer doesn't come before God because, frankly, his prayer is an abomination to God. This man's spiritual blindness is so thick, 
so dark, so complete, so comprehensive that you could almost say he is imagining himself to be on God's throne. Verse 11 shows us this man praying to himself when he addresses himself as God, which is what blind, self-willed sinners generally do, isn't it? We think of ourselves as God. We reimagine reality, which is to say we put we actually put reality aside. Reality doesn't suit us, not the reality of a universe that is centered on and carrying out the holy will of somebody else besides me. Namely, the Almighty God who created and sustains us. Lost sinners determine instead to live in a dream world of our own making, a fantasy world centered not on the true and living God, but on myself. And putting self, capital S, putting self in God's rightful place, the lost sinner decides to make his own rules and then forgives himself when he doesn't actually live by them, or worse, denies the plain fact that he does fail to live by them. The lost and spiritually blind sinner takes his stand and prays thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people. Swindlers unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. He's not above comparing himself to whoever happens to be at hand. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. These apparently are the two great commandments in this Pharisee's little world, the little make-believe world. And as far as he's concerned, he's doing just fine because he's fasting and he's tithing. The tax collector is praying too, but not to himself. By the grace of clear sight and a sober mind, This man lives in God's world, God's reality, true reality. He sees things as they are, not as he willfully reimagines them. Like the Pharisee, he's praying there in the temple precincts, but he finds a dark corner in which to pour out his heart to God. He stands afar off in the shadows because what he's about to dredge up out of his own broken heart and soul isn't going to be pretty. This man can't lift up his eyes or his hands to heaven which was the customary posture in the temple to pray. 
Because his eyes have seen things they shouldn't see. His sticky fingers have clung to money that wasn't his. And the recollection of it all, the recollection of the things that he has seen, the things that he has heard, the things that he has stolen, haunts him, breaks him, breaks his heart. I want you to notice that you find here no blame shifting for this man's sins. You don't hear him saying, well, what was I supposed to do under those circumstances? What was I supposed to do? I have a family to feed. There was no excusing himself. No vain attempts to mitigate or dilute his genuine guilt before God. And I think it's also instructive to us that this man doesn't catalog his many sins. He doesn't catalog them before God. He doesn't present to God a long, long list of his own transgressions. Not out loud anyway. I've sometimes sat through prayers, and maybe you have too. I've certainly sat through counseling sessions in which the long listing of the sins either of oneself or others soon became both tedious and unedifying. Maybe you've sat through prayers like that or conversations with others like that too. It can be painful. It can wear you down because if I'm not in a position to be of genuine help in that person's life, then I don't especially want to know all his sins. I don't especially want to hear about them. Even in prayer. If love covers a multitude of sins, then beloved, whenever we pray, let's pray lovingly, briefly, to the point. The tax collector, this tax collector, when he prayed, came right to the point, didn't he? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's the cry of a broken heart. We're not heard for our many words when we pray, are we? But God welcomes the brokenhearted. He binds up our wounds. So there were these two men who went up to the temple to pray and two very different prayers they prayed while they were there. And Jesus is very clear when He lays out for us the two opposite outcomes. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. When Jesus came into the world, 
He actually brought the kingdom of God with him, didn't he? And during those years that he walked among us, he taught us what this kingdom of God is like and how to live in it. He taught us how we ought to be thinking, how we ought to be speaking, how we ought to be behaving under the sovereign, gracious dominion now given to him as mediatorial king. When he came, Jesus came to a people that had a great deal of religiosity to unlearn. And we still have a great deal to unlearn, don't we? We really need to unlearn world religions. We need to unlearn world religions. The religion of the Pharisees certainly, but all the rest as well. World religions, that is the traditions of men, the various traditions of men, tend to blind us to the simple clarity of life in God's world, the real world. The simple fact is, God has spoken. In these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. He's spoken. And what He said was, that sweet fellowship with God isn't to be found by fasting twice a week, or tithing, or making pilgrimages, or building cathedrals, or mosques, or anything else men dream up to impose upon themselves or others. Speaking long before, through the Hebrew prophet Micah, the Holy Spirit asks a question we really ought to be asking ourselves whenever we enter the house of God, as these two men did. And the question is this, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? With what shall I come? The Pharisee had his own answer to that question and after a few minutes of hearty self-congratulations, he went home unjustified. It was an exercise in in futility to be there praying as he did to himself. He went home unjustified, still not right with God, still on the very brink of the outer darkness, living a proud, misguided life that hangs by a thread. But if you've come to the Lord with a heart broken, for your sin. If bowing before Him you plead nothing but His own rich mercy in Christ, I assure you, in Christ's name, I assure you, you will return home justified, made right with God by grace, through faith that takes root only in the rich soil of a broken heart.